Bow with me for a moment of prayer. Lord our God, as we come now to the reading and preaching of your word, I ask that you would give me the grace that I need to preach your word effectively in a manner which is pleasing to you and beneficial to your blood-purchased people. I ask that you give my brothers and sisters the grace that they need to understand your word and to attend to its reading and its preaching with the diligence and the attention that your holy and inspired word truly deserves. We ask this in Christ's name, who is indeed the eternal word of God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. We are coming to the end of Ephesians 6. Find that on page 1041. Start at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Well, we looked at the first few verses of this passage in the last week or two. And what I want to stress today is that this idea of spiritual warfare, of us combating the devil, outside of the fact that it is very real, it is very easy for us to get very bogged down with the minutiae of these aspects of the armor of God. To think, well, well, outside of the sword of the Spirit, which is called the Word of God, that's given the clue, but what on earth is this shield of faith? How does that that work? Or what exactly is the breastplate of righteousness? Instead of seeing the overarching theme, you can get too bogged down in the specifics of it. And I don't want you to do that. The bottom line is this, is that at the end of this epistle, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us these words to show us how to wage effective spiritual warfare. So as I've been telling you the last few weeks, the first thing to understand is, one, the devil is real. He's not an imaginary figure. He's not made of red and he doesn't have a poker and he's not in charge of eternity. He's a created being who has fallen and who was under God's sovereign thumb. The evil one cannot do anything that the Almighty does not ordain and allow. He is not a free agent. He cannot do what he wants. Second, per 1 John chapter 4, we have nothing to fear from the evil one. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That is what 1 John tells us. The Bible is replete with the power of God 
This is nothing of the power of Satan. I think I mentioned last week the idea of Hollywood whenever you see uh, you know, the evil one or some type of possession occurring in a movie or a show. It's always the Christians who are afraid. Christians run and hide. They get a bunch of crucifixes and crosses and hide themselves in a room and, 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 and hope, that the, hope, that the, hope that the bad guy is not going to come and get them. When in reality, when you look at the, the, the Bible, it's rather the opposite. When Jesus arrives on the scenes and those who are demon-possessed see him, um, do you see Jesus or the disciples running? No. It's the evil one and his minions who shake with fear because Jesus has the power uh, not only of life and death, but he holds the key to death and Hades. He has power over them. He commands them to leave and they leave. And he passed that power on to the disciples of the first, first generation of apostles. And they have power over this. The evil one has no power over us whatsoever. He has the power of suggestion. But 1 Corinthians tells us that we have the mind of Christ. So we have no easy out to say, well, the devil made me do it. No, you just didn't use the mind of Christ that has been given to you as your birthright. Paul has given us this armor, which to the Ephesian audience would have made perfectly good sense because this is the armor of a first century Roman soldier. And as I mentioned a long time ago in the beginning of the year when we started this book, Ephesus was the main center of Roman economic and military activity. So these type of soldiers would have been cruising around Ephesus with no problem whatsoever. And what's interesting about it in context is remember the the radical nature of that household code that comes in the previous section. Where it seems as if the, the man is given all of the perks... And it seems as if the master of the household is given all of the perks. And it seems as if the wife gets the short end of the stick. And the slave certainly gets the short end of the stick. And the children, well, they're always last in line, it seems. When in reality, the household code is radical social teaching. Remember, Paul actually addresses the wives. He actually addresses the slaves. He actually addresses the children. Now, in our day and age, it's like, well, of course, you know, you're talking to the parents. Of course, you're going to say something nice to the kids, right? That's because we're in the year 2016. But think about what we read in that gospel reading. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, about 30 years or so before this epistle was written, is talking to a woman. And what does the text tell us? The disciples are surprised that he's what? Talking to a woman. Talking to a woman. They're, they're flabbergasted. What, what is he doing? Is he out of his mind? Is he finally, you know, we, we thought he was the one, but now he's, he's, talk, he's talking to a woman and she's a Samaritan, no less. It's a radical teaching. So when people talk to you about, say, oh, the Bible, the Bible is all about patriarchy and they want to keep women down. It's like, no. Jesus was a liberator. The Apostle Paul is a liberator of slaves. Because remember, in this household church, you would have had slaves and masters. So when Paul addresses the master, the master would have thought, oh, this sounds just like the Stoics. This sounds just like the Stoics. They've told me how to treat my slaves. But the spin is, is that in God's eyes, the slave and the master are exactly equal in the eyes of God. That would have gotten the the attention of the master. 
And if that wasn't enough, then the next section is dealing with a slave. And the slave would have said, you're, you're speaking to me? You're speaking to me. And you're giving me actual instruction. Now, granted, the instruction for slaves is very hard. Submit to the master, even if he's beating you. Okay? But the fact that he's addressed and the fact that slave and master are put on equal footing in the eyes of God is absolutely mind-numbing. And then he moves into this section, and the implication is, is that all Christians, slave or master, children or parent, husband or wife, slave or free, has got to put on the armor because we are all under attack. And if we are all under attack, then that means we're all on equal footing. You see, there isn't separate armor given for a slave. There isn't separate armor given for a wife. There isn't separate armor given for a child or a husband or the father or the master of the household. It's the same exact armor. If you're told to put on the same type of military equipment, then that means the battle must be the same and the arrows or the bullets or the bombs are coming in equal number and equal measure at each of us. Now, the intensity of the battle will differ for each of us. Those of you who are leaders in the church, ruling elders and deacons, decidedly higher level of intensity. For a pastor, the level of intensity will be very high. Because you see, if a pastor, I almost said if a pastor sins, and that would be crazy because everybody knows that pastors sin because I just confessed my sin. But if a pastor sins in a heinous and public way and is removed from his office, that affects a wide swath of people. Whereas if a private Christian, someone who is a a member of a church, if they sin and they are disciplined by the church, it will have a smaller ripple effect just because of the public nature of the office. It's not because of a difference in the person. It's just because of a difference in the office. I mean, you can think about it in the secular realm. If a private in the army does something wrong and is thrown into the stockade, it will have the effect on, on, his, on his particular group. Now, if a general is hauled before Congress, all right, a four-star general is hauled before Congress and is stripped of his rank and is sent to, to Leavenworth for 25 years, that's going to have a decidedly different ripple. It will send fear through all of the troops because they'll realize, well, if they got him then I truly had better watch my step because he's significantly higher up in the food chain than I am. The point of this is that we're all in this battle together. And this armor that he gives us is spiritual in nature. The breastplate of righteousness is talking about two things. Some commentators will say it's one or the other. I think that that's a, a, an unnecessary bifurcation. The first Part of the righteousness is something that you cannot put on. It's something that God puts on you. And that is the righteousness of Christ that we gain when we trust Christ as Savior. You cannot earn the righteousness of Christ. If you could, then Jesus would not have been sent to suffer, bleed, and die. When you trust Christ as Savior, His righteousness, His holiness, His legal standing as perfect and pristine, the firstborn over all creation, that status is given to you, and your status as a filthy outcast sinner is given to Him. I've said that thousands of times, and is the, that is the basic gospel. 
You get his righteousness, he gets your evil. You receive his righteousness, he gets your penalty. You receive his righteousness, he gets your guilt and punishment. That's inherited. But there's an extra aspect to the righteousness here. That comes afterwards. That initial righteousness that is given to us is an aspect of our justification. When we are declared just in the court of God. When you go into court, you really, and you know you're guilty. If you're smart, you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And the judge makes a decision. That's what we do when we come to Christ. We confess our sins. To confess your sins does not mean to grovel around on the floor. Although, at times, that is very good. What it means is that you agree with the verdict. That's what the word means. You agree with the verdict. God says you're guilty. And you say, yeah, absolutely I am. By the way, I have other things to mention to you. And he says, well, you know, um, I know about those too. And you trust that Christ has paid the penalty. But with regard to our sanctification, Paul is telling us to put something on. So if he's telling us to put something on, then we have the responsibility to know what it is and to actually do it. What this is talking about is the righteousness that comes as a result of our progressive sanctification, our growth in Christ. Because you see, one of the tricks of the devil is that when you sin, he will whisper in your ear, there's no way that God is forgiving you this time around. When you sin, he will say there is no possible way that you are ever forgiven, by the way. You're not a child of God. You belong to me. Even though the devil has no claim to any soul whatsoever, that is a myth. You cannot sell your soul to the devil because he doesn't own any souls. There's no claim over them. He lies. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Everything he says is a lie. Might have some truth in it, just so that you'll swallow the lie. You know, some of you are fishermen. Guess what? You're liars. You know, you, you toss the line out. And what are you doing? You're lying to the fish. You're lying to the fish. Some of you are hunters. You're kind of liars too. I don't know if you're allowed to. I don't think you're allowed to bait deer. Okay? But you hide, right? You hide. And you, you want it to come through. And, and, I, and I reap the benefit of your hunting. Thank you. And if you're fishermen, uh, I, I like to reap, reap the benefit of that as well. But you lie. You, you cast out the line and you hope the fish sees the bait. Smells the bait, whatever it does, and takes the bait. And you know, well, the bait is just the trick. What I really want is the hook. Here we go. Dinner. Dinner. That's what Satan does. He lies. We take the bait, and then we realize, oh, oh, that doesn't taste so good. That's forbidden fruit. I have a cavity here, and I have a hook in my mouth, and I am being dragged ashore. That's what the evil one does. The righteousness that we have here is the confidence that we gain when we confess our sins, we remember that Christ has given us his righteousness, and we look at our life and we realize that the confession of sin is proof. The feeling, feeling horrible for your sin, or even feeling convicted at all for your sin, is a clear sign that you are a child of God because the world is filled with people who do evil deeds all day long and they don't care. You are righteous in God. And the practical righteousness we have, what you have to understand is that growing as a Christian gives you confidence. It's not 100% 
perfect because we cannot rely on our performance because our performance is never 100%. But if you used to do sin number A and you don't do it anymore and you've withstood the temptations for 30 years, that will give some fire to you. That will put some wind in your sails. So Paul is talking here about practical righteousness, living according to God's law. Obeying His law, not as a means of merit, but as a means of showing your thankfulness to Him. And frankly, it is a self-rational act. There is no upside to ever disobeying God and sinning. Nothing good ever comes of it. What did Phil Cady say? Forbidden fruit on their lips brings a cavity. That's, that's, you know, the taste is sweet, but the bitter end is a cavity. That's how the lyric goes. That's where I got that illusion from. Then he says here, having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel, essentially? When we preach the gospel to a sinner. It's a peace treaty. People don't think that they're at war with God. I'm okay, you're okay. All religions are equal. All rivers flow into one majestic stream and they lead up to the mountain. No. Someone who's a non-Christian is at war with God. They just don't know it. The evil one lies to them and says, you're okay. You get reincarnated next time around. You're actually doing okay this, this go-round. You might actually come back as a prince next time. Maybe you'll come back as president if you want that insane job. Who knows? The world's your oyster. Just, just keep, keep on keeping on and you'll get there just like everybody else. One step up the mountain at a time. It might take you 12 million years, but you'll get there, by golly. No, you won't. The gospel is a peace treaty signed in Christ's blood. So this is talking about knowing that the peace treaty applies to us. And it's also talking about being able to speak. Because it's talking about the preparation. Being able to speak the truth. You see, many of you have the gift of evangelism, you don't know it. And many of you are afraid to speak the name of Christ because you think you have to have a zillion answers. The message of the gospel is fairly easy. You tell your friend, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, I was in trouble, you're still in trouble. If you'd like, I can show you the way out of trouble. There's only one door out of the trouble. You have to picture everybody in a burning building. And you know where the door is. If that's actual the physical situation, is it difficult to tell people where to go? You know where the door is. They don't. They're running around all confused. What do you do? The door is here. Follow me. That's all you do in that physical situation. Here's the escape route. That's essentially what evangelism is. You give people the escape route so that they escape the judgment of God. And when we do that, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, we are strengthened for the fight. And the shield of faith is self-explanatory. This is not talking about the initial faith. This is not talking about the initial faith of when we come to Christ. Because those of you who came to Christ as an adult, you know, you remember what it felt like. You remember what it felt like. Even if you grew up in a church, if you came to Christ... Fully as an adult, you remember when the bells went off in your head and how great you felt. It's an amazing feeling. And you get that new believer's fire. You don't have to have that new believer's fire. And as I've told you young people, 
you never want new believers fire because you've been hearing the gospel since you're some of you since you're infants if you ever get new believers fired then that means that you didn't listen to your pastor and you didn't listen to your parents when you were younger a Christian child is supposed to have a slow steady growth unlike some of those of us who are adults who kind of did this kind of thing I see the smiles. That you know, that's a nice ride. It's a roller coaster. The highs are nice, but when you you know when you when you drop down real fast and you realize, oh, I backslid for four months. <laughs> better better get back to church. It's not supposed to happen. There's really no such thing as new believers fire. There's only really old believers compromise. It's really what it comes down to. The shield of faith here is talking about knowing moment by moment, day in by day out, that you're a child of God. That knowing that faith overcomes the world. Again, that's 1 John. That faith is the victory. Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life that no one cometh to the Father except through Him? If you do, then you are saved. If you do, then the peace treaty applies to you. If you do not, then I beg of you, accept the terms of the peace treaty. Trust Christ's blood and His righteousness Do not believe the lies of the evil one. Because the essential weapon of the evil one is lying. We see that in the garden. He lies. He lies. So we see that even in Jesus' temptation in the desert. You know, you hear people say, well, look, you know, Satan has control over this world. I've had this conversation with multitudes of people. I said, well, evidence for that assertion, please. Well, look, he offers Jesus all of these kingdoms in the world, and he says, they've been given to me. And my answer is always, guess what? He lies. He's lying. These kingdoms haven't been given to him. He's lying to Christ. And I've never had anybody say, oh, you're wrong. I've always had people say, oh, I forgot. That's exactly it. We forget that he's a liar. He offered Christ all the kingdoms of the world. It was a lie. Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. Try eating for two straight days and see if you don't want to believe some lies. Blood sugar will be going crazy. Shield of faith means believing. And guess what? You know how you believe? You pray and you read your Bible. That's how you get your faith strengthened. And those are the aspects that come up next. The faith helps you extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And you take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, reading this Bible, learning it, is essential to your spiritual health. Some of us eat too much. It's a first world problem. Persecuted church doesn't have that problem. They might not be able to get a job because they're Christians. I want you to think for a moment about your brothers and sisters who are persecuted. Um, This spiritual warfare, they feel it in their physical flesh every day. So please let us not complain with what might occur 10 years from now. It's very dishonoring to God. It shows that we're really not trusting in his sovereignty. That we really don't have the faith that he loves us. That we don't have the faith that he's going to look after our children. We should take things seriously. And I think you all know what I'm talking about here. But I want us to keep our tax exempt status. So I'm not going to say anything. Do you hear me? They feel it every day. 
They feel it every day. We're worried about Christian businesses being persecuted. Well, in some lands, you can't have a business because you're a Christian. You can't have a job. You can't buy food because you're a Christian. So we need to remember that. Because as Paul says, there's one body. So when they hurt, we're supposed to feel it as well. But we have to have faith. We have to have faith. And if we're not reading the word, if we're not feeding on the word of God, our faith will get weak. I can guarantee you. If you begin to read your Bible systematically and begin to think biblically about things, I can guarantee you a couple of things. Your perspective on life will change. Your understanding of your own sinfulness will increase. And the, the, the weight of the spiritual warfare will also increase. Because you see, when the evil one and his minions realize that you're studying, that you will come up higher on the radar. It's just that simple. If you're fighting in a war, and someone has a bayonet, and another person has a tank, and you have to choose which one to fight, and you're there alone and you're barehanded, who are you going to go with? That tank, you're definitely going to lose. The guy with the bayonet, you might have a shot. The tank will catch you. Even if the tank can't catch you, it'll find you with its computer. I don't know what kind of bullets the tank shoots, but I know they're big. I know they're loud. And even if they just come close, they will find you. The bayonet, you might be able to outrun the guy. It's a sword. Sword is a weapon of warfare in the ancient world. A sword is the preferred method of warfare throughout history. In our day and age, this would be like an Uzi. This would, this would, be, this would be an assault rifle. That's what it would be. This would be a bazooka. If you want to fight the spiritual warfare without any weapons, then go ahead. You'll encounter nothing but pain and misery. Parents, we all fail in this. We have to stress the word of God to our children. Slowly but surely, piece by piece, the easy parts to the hard parts. And to be honest with you, the real difficult parts, I'm going to give you a little revelation here. It doesn't really matter if you get to them. Most of us have enough trouble with the basics. We have to constantly be in basic training. Now, some of us, some of us should be in ranger school right now. Some of us should be Navy SEALs in the spiritual warfare realm. I've spoken with some of you about this. Some of us need to be far beyond the basics. Some of us need to get back to the basics. I've never been in the armed services, but I know that rangers run. I know that Navy SEALs run. And I think they run some more. And I'm pretty sure you're running basic training as well. Somebody who's in the service, give me a nod here. You do a lot of running. Like some guys, after they retire, they continue to run. It's basic. You have to run. If you're a SEAL, you better know how to swim. It's probably a good idea. 
Can't be afraid of heights if you want to jump out of a plane. You better overcome that fear. But before you can jump out of a plane or swim in the North Atlantic, you have to run and then run some more because swimming a mile is a lot harder than running a mile in case you've ever tried to do it. It looks like it's the same length, but boy, it takes a lot longer to do. And it's easier in a pool than it is in the North Atlantic in February. And then prayer. How's your prayer life doing? Pray always, and he emphasizes this, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end. This watch. This, Christ said this. What did, what did Christ say in the garden to his disciples? You're still sleeping? Are you sleeping? Christ says, are you still sleeping? Watch and pray. The flesh is willing, but the spirit... Got that backwards, that's heresy. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul here is saying, be watching, he's saying the same thing, and the message is the same for us. So I'm going to ask you, are you spiritually asleep? Does this world, the, the pleasures of what we have in our country, all the benefits that we have in our country, all of the electronics, all of the entertainment, all of the good things that we can enjoy, have they numbed you to the point where you're asleep? And are your children going to sleep? Or are you being watchful? And praying with perseverance. Now perseverance tells us that prayer is not easy. If you tell somebody you have to persevere in something. Now perseverance is a strange word. Okay? But we, we, we say this to our children uh, all the time. We might not say persevere. But we might say something like, just do it. Get through it. Or like I like to say, buck up. Get going. When you tell someone to persevere, that implies that it's hard. So don't fret if you find prayer to be a difficult discipline. Confess your sins. Confession is a wonderfully easy type of prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. As soon as you start doing that, guess what? You're praying. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like the publican in the parable. If you have problems with your prayer life, start confessing your sin. You're automatically in the realm of prayer. If we don't do these things, we'll be easy pickings for the evil one. And Paul concludes with asking them to pray for him, that utterance would be given to him so that he can make known the mystery of the gospel because he is ambassador in chains. Remember, he was, he was under house arrest. Now, you can't pray for the Apostle Paul. If you do, you're wasting your time. He's been having a grand old time for 2,000 years. He's no longer an ambassador in chains. Are you praying for me? Now, I'm not putting myself on the, on the, on the plane of the Apostle Paul. Okay? I'm not. You need to hear me. Pastor didn't say he was equal to the Apostle Paul. But we do have essentially the same job. At least... He did. The same message he preached, I preach. Now, he preached on a wider level with much deeper gifts than any pastor will ever have because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But the message is the same. What did Paul say in Galatians? When the Galatians started mixing up faith and works as a means of justification. 
He said, if even if an angel from heaven, even if we or an angel from heaven were to preach a different gospel than the one you heard, justification by faith alone, if, if, if we preach a different gospel, then let us be anathema, anathema, cursed. Same goes true for me. You go on vacation, you go to a church, and they're not preaching justification by faith. They're not preaching Christ. They're not preaching the resurrection. Then, then, then that is a problem. You need to pray for me that I stay on the basic message. You need to pray for your elders. You need to pray for all Bible-believing pastors. That we stay on message. Because if we don't, then none of us will be well-armed. And if we're not well-armed, the war has already been won, but the battles in our lives will be excruciating. And we'll feel as if we're losing. And some of us may lose in our personal lives, but it doesn't have to be that way. These are the tools to overcoming. I urge you to give them careful heed. Would you pray with me? Lord, please help us this day and this week to put on the full armor that you have given to us and help us to wage warfare with the dignity that comes with being a child of Christ. Amen.